The producer blew it bad on this episode. There will be some odd edits. The quality of the show will not suffer much, but it is important to point out that he is a moron. Everybody, welcome to the Significant Strike Podcast. I'm your host, Soft Weekly, and with me, as always, is our expert handicapper, Val Dwyer. We had some technical issues last night, so we lost the opening a little bit, so this will be dubbed in. You'll miss about 30 seconds of our recap from last week's picks. Otherwise, it's all fine. Sorry about that. Enjoy the show. Uh, Lupita... Godinez got robbed on our parlay, so that lost. And Al Hassan got dominated in wrestling despite being a judo black belt, so he didn't get the KO, so that lost. That's minus two and a half units. But we had a two unit bet on, uh, Robert Whitaker by decision at plus 125, which comes out to plus 2.5 units, so we broke even on the week. Uh, just amazing show by Whitaker and as I thought, or as it always has, Gaslam's chin held up and got us to the decision. All right. Yeah. So last week was not our best, but two weeks in, we're still up basically six and a half units, right? 6.45 units. Yeah. And I also, I mean, yeah, I guess we should mention our my unofficial Bellator favorites parlay, which who knows, maybe we'll make it more official in the future. Next card's in three weeks. Um, Cash, Vadim Nemkov, and Julia Budd, and then Jake Paul obviously won, though it didn't. It was obviously not by decision, which I said I thought might have value. Right, you, you called that <laughs> on value, and I think um, I had been very adamant that I thought he was the better boxer, and Askren was not in shape for that fight, and yeah, it was going to be a win. But to be fair, we did not say place money on this so even though our projections were correct that we're not going to count it as a win because we're gonna try and be honest about what we're doing here yeah and this is an mma podcast (laughs) but right but yeah it it was it was halfway tangent because of the ben askren thing tangentially kind of sort of mma yeah and the one thing that was funny about it is, and I felt it too, I did not want uh, a pro MMA guy to lose to Jake Paul because he's a douche. But yeah, I had to be honest about what we were looking at. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, uh, all right, let's, let's get into this. All right, uh, let's get into it. Um, I, I have uh, the best fight odds up, so they're not necessarily in order. So no, here, why uh, don't you hit them in order? And then yeah. I, I've got some notes up and stuff, and uh, you head at it, hit them in order, and I can follow along. All right. So, okay, so there's a lot of fights here with debutants, especially out of China, uh, trying to get the Chinese audience in with their star, Wei Li Zhang, on the uh, co-main event. But so, yeah, we have a lot of people out of the Chinese Performance Institute, which is, it's different than the uh, Performance Institute in the U.S., in Vegas, which is 
really just about performance. Theirs is more of like an academy for finding the best Chinese product prospects. It's, it's kind and of like them up. it's kind of like uh, the Soviet Union used to do with their Olympic athletes, where these yeah. people have been doing it. They were handpicked at ages three and four or whatever, and have been doing it their yeah. whole life. They don't go quite that young. I mean, they they get them off of the local uh, local competitions like Kunlun, which is where um, Zhang Weili came from. Zhang Weili or Weili Zhang, I forget which one's the family name. I, I can never get it. But it says Weili Zhang here. I think on the broadcast they say Zhang Weili. Anyway, the first fight is Na Liang versus Ariana Carlossi. And, yeah. There's basically nothing known about either of these, except for that I've seen pictures of them. They both look like physical freaks. Um, Carlos is a decent-sized favorite. I, I have no, I, I have no idea. Uh, Naliang, not UFC debut. Oh, one interesting thing about these Chinese fighters coming from the Performance Institute, their coaches are stuck in China, so... I haven't been able to, and even guys like Dan Hardy, I was listening to his, uh, podcast don't know who's going to be coaching these performance institute fighters so that's something interesting to look out for we'll see um but yeah i have nothing for that first prelim there's almost no tape that exists on these chinese fighters no a a bunch of the stuff for uh na leong is uh when you look at her stats it's it's zero because they don't know you know, she seems to have a comparable record. I don't, I wouldn't bet on it at all, but I don't know if the, you know, she, she's a plus 180. I don't know if that fire is that far apart. I just wonder if it's because there's slightly more tape available on Carnalasi. Yeah, probably is. Although I saw a picture of Carnalasi and she is shredded for 115, though it helps that she's really short. She's like five foot. She's like kind of like a Jessica Andrade. She's five foot two, but she is shredded. But yeah, anyway, we're gonna move on. And the next one is is the same thing. I mean, it's not just Kileng Iori uh, making his UFC debut here. The his opponent, uh, some guy from Missouri, is also making his UFC debut. Jeff Molina. Um, I think this one comes in at a, at their even odds. Yeah, but basically, yeah, just, just, it's it's just, a Aori minus one ten Molina, uh, you know one ten. You know it's very it's, yeah. it's even basically. But there's there's again almost no tape that exists on these people that at least that I could find. Maybe maybe if I uh, could type in Chinese characters on my keyboard, but I can't. Right. Um. Yeah. And, and okay, so that's gonna be the same for the next one too. Basically, I, I've heard really good things about Zhu Rong or. Ju Rong, I think it is. Uh, John Anik said it's pronounced. I've heard really good things about him on uh, MMA Twitter and Sherdog, but again, I haven't seen tapes, so not putting my money there. He's a big favorite anyway. He is a big favorite. But the next one that I have, the first one that I have to really dive into is Dana Bagrilli, or Bagril. Let me say that right. Dana Bagril versus Kevin Natividad. Um, they, Dana has two UFC fights and one win, one loss, uh, after coming over from a Mongolian, uh, fighting promotion. Right. I'm kind of impressed with this guy. He's, he's, he's good. 
he he is he's really good actually. I mean, for the level that he's at right now. And then uh, Kevin Natividad, he was an LFA fighter. Um, he 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 did decent for himself in LFA. Came over, made his UFC debut in October, and lost to Miles Johns, who who's a good fighter. Um, so yeah, let's dive in. I'll start with. Well, I'll start with Badril. He he's newer to MMA because he comes from a kickboxing background. Like there's a period on his record where he doesn't have any MMA fights in 2016 and 2017 because he returned back to kickboxing. Um, but then he's come back to MMA in 2018 and is four and one since then. And all four of his wins are by finish, even though three of those are outside of the UFC. So it's questionable the level of his competition. At questionable at best, really. Um, but if Diving into his actual techniques, he, he really, his leg kicks are great. Um, and I, I am a sucker for leg kicks. Justin Gaethje, Volkanovsky, Izzy, anyone who uses leg kicks, it's chopped in the tree. And that's one thing that if I see a fighter using leg kicks, I'll instantly start thinking, oh, they have a better chance. Um, he, he's, he's um, let me interject. He's got some skills, um, other than just leg kicks. Like he's got a KO with a knee to the body, which is very interesting. And he's got a TKO where it's listed as elbows and punches, you know, so he, he's throwing a wide range of strikes. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll get to those. Just let me go through his, uh, just his full range. Just let me get through everything here. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. Um, so yeah, he he. At first, I thought he used his jab well, but it's really more of just a range finder. And I was disappointed to see that he actually didn't start off combos with his jabs in that that first fight in the UFC versus Alatang Haley, who is a really good fighter. That that's a really tough debut to fight Alatang Haley in his debut. Um, he he threw mostly just wild hooks, threes and fours in, in combos. Never that that crucial one-two combo that I like. I mean, straight punches beat uh, hooks every day of the week. And uh, Altang Haley was throwing either check hooks or straighter punches and was keeping him off him. He still won around from Altang Haley, but Altang Haley was able to counter his forward motion and uh, a lot of time just counter his forward motion with those straight punches. He did win the second round just because of his high level of uh, high volume. He's great cardio. He's really tough because he got cracked a lot by Altang Haley, who hits hard. Um, so, but I, I wanted to see improvement in his second fight, and, and I did. He showed a better and more calmer more calmer, it's not really English, but so he went over to, I think Mike Winklejohn, yeah, he went, he went over to Jackson Wink. That was the fight against Kennedy, right? Yeah, yeah, and he clearly learned a lot there. Um, he he will stay on the outside changing his angles by circling and pumping uh, that jab in, in hooks. He dips his head off the center line when he throws, which is something that's really important to see from guys who are charging in there trying to strike and strike hard. Um, his opponent, Natividad, will also try to go forward, though. So it's going to be interesting to see which one gives up the back foot at, to start. You know, they'll both try to go forward. Which one will end up going backwards? Big question that 
I don't know the answer to yet. Um, but he, he started diversifying his strategies. He started throwing more straight punches, ones and twos. He started using a really good deep kick. Um, he, sorry. I'm not, a, okay. He, yeah, so that straight punch was really great against Southpaw, um, which was Kennedy in his second fight. Um, won't be the case in this one, so I do hope he sticks to that straight punch, but like under Mike Winklejohn and, and company, I think they should rein him in because he, he has the physical skills to go far. He just needs to rein in his striking and not throw wild hooks. Um, and the eventual KO he did get versus Kennedy was, was a really nice left hook, but not, you know, a wild left hook. It was somewhere between a check left hook and a jab because it extended to the full distance, but it didn't, he didn't wind it up. It just, as his opponent was kind of coming in, he just cracked it around, got him at the end of his reach, dropped him. Um, so I think, I think he's becoming a more varied striker for sure. And a more technical striker overall than Natividad, who's a brawler. He just comes in. He reminds he's like a male um, Jessica Andrade. He just comes in aggressive as hell, throwing hooks. Uh, he's heavy on that league leg, which makes him vulnerable to leg kicks, and he's in a low wide stance. So, yeah, I like Batgrill using leg kicks in that aspect. Um, he has wrestling background, but when I saw him shoot takedowns, he they he often didn't set them up and just shot from distance, which wasn't able to do anything for him. Um, it, it, I mean, in LFA, he wasn't caught with it, but that could be something people take advantage of if he's shooting with no setup in the UFC still. Um, he's okay in the clinch, at, but as far as, you know, uh, head position and all that, but on a break is where Miles Johns KO'd him. But he had to be aggressive there. He was down two rounds. Um, and his pressure and a bit, uh, desire to get people up against the fence will hurt, will be hurt by going back to the bigger cage, not in the apex anymore. Um, and, and just Miles Johns overall was able to take advantage of his relentless pressure, which is in straight lines instead of, you know, diagonal movement. So it was very predictable. He just consistently jabbed him up and, and hit him with straight rights on entries. Uh, and it, it, it was so, so damaging to Natividad. He didn't move his head enough on those entries either. He started trying to faint the entries, but like I think his brawler nature just won out and he kept coming forward relentlessly, even though he got punished for it nearly every time. So all that said, this, I think, uh, but Griel also, against uh, Alatang Haley, although he lost, he showed good enough takedown defense against a national team wrestler in Alatang Haley. He was a Chinese national team wrestler. So I and Natividad isn't that level of wrestler, nor that level of striker. So I think that Batgrill has what it takes to get it done. Uh, I mean, and it should be quite convincing. Probably not a knockout. Uh, I mean, I'm feeling more of a decision. And the lines here, you can get them at they're anywhere from minus 175 to minus 205, but five times Betway have minus, and, uh, Bet365 have minus 175. So I'm putting one unit here on Danabat Grill 
at minus 175. I don't think Natividad is at the level to be fighting in the UFC yet, while Bagwil, especially if he keeps growing under Mike Winklejohn, he will be of a level where he can compete in the UFC for a couple years to come, maybe even break into the rankings one day. I think uh, about the average on the lines across the board is right around 180. There is 175. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, we'll take the best line we can get. And uh, so I'm putting one unit at minus 175 on Donna Bagriel for he, our first bet of the night. He, he is also my first pick of the night out of, out of the fights we've went through so far. The things um, that I noticed about it is uh, they're the opposite kind of fighters. Bagriel comes out quick. And like you mentioned, uh, in the Alatong fight, he He's one of those guys that just got into the UFC, and he was just doing the stuff that worked for him on lower levels. You know yeah. what I mean? Throwing throwing the wide power punches and stuff and not really realizing there's more technique to it. And on the other end, Navidad, his nickname is Quicksand. He wants to hang around. You know what I mean? He wants to stay in there and get you into the later rounds. If you look at uh, most of his wins, he's got a couple you know, first-round finishes and stuff. But as he faced better competition, they're all second, third round, you know. He's he's the guy that's going to hang around and try and outpoint you. I think my disagreement with you is I think uh, girl will get the stoppage. But I agree with you. I, I'll put a bet on this fight as well. I think, yeah, I mean, I think it's possible just – Lower weight classes, I'll tend to predict decision. But yeah, I, I mean, it, 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 you're, it is a hundred percent possible. I and mean, the skill level is there for it. And the way Natividad charges in with his head and not moving off the center line, definitely open to be countered, like Miles Johns did consistently. All right. All right. So we got so next. That brings us puts us on to Tristan Connolly versus Pat Sabatini, which is interesting because. Connolly is moving down from welterweight to featherweight. Well, that's he, always good or bad. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. He, okay, so his last opponent, you know, Michelle Pereira. Yeah. He um he beat Chaos Williams, I believe, last time out. He he's he's quite good. And uh Tristan Connolly was able to beat him. It's, but it wasn't the most impressive performance. I, like I mean it was impressive that he got a win and um it was short notice, I think, for both of them. But he, he kind of just let Pereira punch himself out and then ground out a, grounded out a decision. But, I mean, Pereira's a good fighter, so that is still tough. Um, Sabatini's coming out of uh, Cage Fury FC, which, yeah, one of the better BC-tier promotions that feeds into yeah, UFC, yeah, like they, LFA. They have some decent talent running through it. Yeah, uh, I've seen good things from him definitely a lot of stoppages on his record of course Uh, well not necessarily of course because he's a featherweight but you would hope so coming in from even a promotion like cage fury the thing just Connolly's just so much bigger i don't know i like i want to see them at weigh-ins to see how like the size difference uh Sabatini's two inches shorter, but that, I mean, shorter, you can be shorter and still be way thicker than guys. I mean, there's six foot three, uh, 
lightweights like Luis Pena and then Kelvin Gastelum's a middleweight at like five foot nine. Right. He's a tank. So yeah, it's hard to say how they'll actually match up when they get in there. It's just interesting to me that the guy that's so much bigger is a plus. I think it's plus one eighty underdog. Yeah, uh, I got him at mostly yeah. one seventy five across. He's, uh, there's one on bet online one ninety five. That's interesting. So like, yeah, it might be worth a stab, but I don't have too much to analyze here because Connolly's um only performance that I could actually find to watch was against Michelle Pereira and it was one where he didn't have to fight the way I think he will have to fight against Sabatini, which is engaging much more. And I don't think Sabatini will gas out like Pereira did. This is the um, f- Oh go ahead. Yeah. No, no, no. Well, I was that just going to say we haven't officially introduced the segment um, Dog of the Week or Walking the Dog. We don't know what we're going to call it yet. But if I had to pick a dog on this card, it would be Connolly. Yeah, so I, I have my Dog of the Week, and we'll, uh, yeah, when the time comes. I'll All right, yeah, yeah, get to, to it when we get there. But and yeah. eventually there'll be yeah. a segment. We'll pick him at once. Yeah. But, you know, but, yeah, he, he would have been my pick on this one. <clears throat> yeah. Um, all right, so moving on to Brendan Allen versus Carl Roberson. This is a higher level fight than, than all of the rest of the prelims other than Randy Brown versus Alex Cowboy Oliveira. Um, these guys, uh, especially Brendan Allen was on the cusp of being ranked at middleweight. Uh, before his last fight, he went in there against Sean Strickland, who I rate really, really highly. I mean, I'm a fan of Strickland. Brendan Allen. Yeah, Brendan Allen and Strickland are both prospects at this middleweight uh, division. But Strickland, Strickland, with that, uh, he, he knocked uh, Brendan Allen out in the second round, and that earned him the ranking he has now, I believe, 14th in the middleweight division. Um, but Allen, Allen's still right on the cusp in that top 20 area. And he in the Strickland fight, he made the mistake of not fighting the way he fights. I mean, there's an interview he did this week about it where he said, I'm going to get back to what I'm, how I'm supposed to fight, get back get back in the win column by doing me. I wasn't myself against Strickland, which you can take that as an excuse. I mean, and in some ways it is, but it also shows to me that he's going to get back to his roots, which is pressure wrestling and then getting you down, grappling you, submitting you. Um, and that's what he's done in each of his fights. Um, so we'll start with his UFC debut against Kevin Holland, which is an interesting one that he fought Kevin Holland because Kevin Holland compares really favorably to Carl Roberson, actually. They both have dog shit takedown defense. Um, Carl Roberson has, uh, 50% takedown defense. He's been taken down, um, uh, well, uh, but, it has to be noted that these takedowns have come against some higher level competition. Like he fought Glover Teixeira, although Glover Teixeira only needed one takedown to finish him off. So that doesn't count that much against his uh, nine takedowns uh, conceded in the UFC. Um, the the big one is Wellington Terman, who's that was Wellington Terman's UFC debut. And although Carl Roberson was able to get the win, it was a split decision, which I uh, could have gone either way. And, yeah, I mean, Terman is a black belt, but there's black belts and then there's black belts. Like, there's Glover Share black belts and then there's Wellington Terman black belts. And he, 
he just didn't look like the type of guy that should be, I mean, uh, Rob, Robertson didn't look like the type of guy that should be fighting for a cusp of being coming a contender. Um, he, he did reverse, uh, and sweep Terman sometimes, but his problem is he kept stay, he, like, he showed poor fight IQ by staying in these grappling exchanges after sweeping. Or even like when they were on the feet and Terman tried to clinch, if Robertson reversed him against the cage, Robertson had double underhooks and could have backed out cleanly or backed out, hit him on the break. But he didn't. He kept playing that game and it got him taken down over and over again in that fight and almost lost in that fight. Arguably, like I I could see the argument either way for him losing that fight. Um, and so when he has been, when opponents have actually tried to take him down, that's his only win in the UFC. He lost to Marvin Vittori, his most recent fight, uh, rear naked choke in round one. He lost to Glover Teixeira, arm triangle in round one, and he lost to Cesar Ferreira, arm triangle in round one. Those are the three of the four guys who tried to take him down, the other being Wellington Terman. Uh, and that is very important here because that's what Allen does. He, he'll come at you kind of recklessly, but it's not really, he's not really actually trying to stand a bang with you. He's just trying to close the distance, get you against the edge of the cage and get the takedown. Um, he, he, he uses body locks and trips more than actually shooting doubles or single legs. Um, and so I hope that his comments about getting back to what he's good at will show in this fight versus Robertson. Because if he tries to take down Robertson, he should win. He really should win. He has great top control. Not like Glover chair level top control, but especially because Glover's a light heavyweight, obviously. Right. These guys are middleweights. <laughs> uh, but Robertson was an undersized light heavyweight. Middleweight is definitely a more natural division for him. Um, they're about similar size from what I can tell. So, and I really think the reason we're getting this price where it is, which is, uh, it's open at minus 130, it's risen a bit to minus 145, or I think minus, still minus 142 in some places, but yeah, around the minus 145, 150 area is because of that KO loss to Son Strickland. But like I said, Strickland was one of the hottest prospects in that division, and that loss doesn't tank his stock that much for me. If he had, if this fight was before the Strickland fight, I think it would have been more like a minus 200. 210 line, especially because the styles, not like overall in skill. I think Allen's a better fighter, has a brighter future, even though they have totally different styles. But just that style of Allen wants to be on the ground, even if he's on the bottom, he will prefer to be on the ground. And Roberson is at least has shown to be happy to engage people there, even though that's not his strength as a kickboxer. I mean, he was a glory kickboxer for a while. Um. Yeah, and uh, Allen is is he's BJJ black belt, and he's a legit black belt. He has 15 wins, eight of them by submission, and his only losses are even back when he fought for LFA and uh, Legacy FC a long time ago, were to uh, guys who would enter the UFC in the future. Fluffy Hernandez, who submitted um, Rodolfo Vieira, the first that that was huge. Rodolfo Vieira, ADCD champion, um, and Fluffy submitted him a purple belt. Trevin Giles, who's making a name for himself, and Eric Anders, who we saw in action last month. He was dominating Darren Stewart, who's a good fighter, until he threw an illegal knee. Um, 
He he subbed like like I said he fought Kevin Holland, which is interesting because he compares to Robertson favorably, and he subbed him. Uh, Holland probably has better BJJ than Robertson, but Robertson may have a little bit better wrestling understanding. He, he avoids takedowns better than Holland does, but Holland survives longer once he's on the ground. Um, like Holland survived five rounds versus Vittori being on the bottom for most of it. Robertson didn't survive. Once Vittori got Robertson on the ground, he was choked out within a minute. Um, and, and, uh, all of Robertson's losses are by submission. And that's, that's, like I said, Allen's specialty over 50% of his wins are by submission. Um, Robertson does have power in, in his left hand, but I don't think it'll be enough especially with just, just just the style. Like I said, the style matchup is not good for him. We're getting this line at a good price because Allen is coming off of a high-profile knockout loss. But Allen is just the better fighter, and stylistically he should be able to take Robeson out, probably submit him. I looked at the submission prop. It's about plus 190, which, you know, if I'm going to play a method of victory prop, I want it to be higher than that, even if I think submission is probably the way Allen gets this done. But so, um, originally I had this as one unit, but the more I taped, the more I liked it. So I took it not all the way to two units, but to 1.45 units to win one unit because the line is a minus 145 on a bet online. Yeah. Um, and that's something I was going to bring up about this fight. Do you know what the bet online odds opened at? Minus minus one thirty, right? No, I got it down here on uh uh two sixty five on March eighteenth. Or uh two oh five. where where are you seeing that? Right on uh Best Fight Odds. I don't I don't know I don't know how to see the opening odds. Um just click on what the ads are now. Oh wow, yeah. So okay, that's really interesting. Yes, yeah, so right. they were, and then and then yeah. So okay, I hadn't seen them back then, but yeah, then so uh, as recently as March twenty eighth, they were minus one thirty. Uh, the line got bought down, um, and yeah, and now they're getting it's getting bought back up a little bit. Yeah, to minus one forty five. Right, that that's, that's that really makes me think because the opening lines are what I always look at. I'll see how the money's going, but we both know that the money is adjusted on where the, you know, where people are betting, so the books can always yeah. make their part. But when For you sure. see an opening two hundred five like that, and it goes up to one forty five, what the hell? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I I really think that high profile KO loss from against Strickland is playing a lot into this. Um, but Strick, Strickland is way better than Roberson, just way better. All right, better, so um, better wrestling and better striking. I'd put. Uh, I'm with you. I'll, I'll say two units. I don't bet as much as you, as uh, the people listening to the show know. But I follow the sport well, and I do put money on it. But I think this is a great pick. Yeah, this is this is this is up there. This is my favorite or second favorite on the card. It's it, uh, so yeah. I'm going to be transparent. It's not a. You look at the main event and the co main event with Usman and Shevchenko as minus 420 and minus 430 favorites. When you have that, it's not going to be a great betting card, but but a lot of people will still want to have action on those 
plays, but I think there's value here. The biggest value here is one of these values here is on the undercard. All right. So who's up next? Who's up next is uh, Dwight Grant versus Stefan Sekulic. Sekulic. Uh, yeah. I'm sure how to say this. This one is, I'm be honest, one I didn't care to tape enough. Like, I mean, I taped it, but it's not one I dove deep into analysis for because the line seemed to me about where it should be. Dwight Grant's coming off of a knockout loss. But he was winning that fight before that. Like, he he really, the referee could have stopped it against D-Rod, and we know D-Rod's a legit fighter. Um, And Sekulic has one fight in the UFC, and it was a loss, but that was two years ago to Ameev, who's a good fighter. Before that, all Serbian battle championships. So, yeah, impossible for me to find tape on that. I I mean, I, I would think that minus 220... I mean, I think it's fair because we don't know what level Sekulich is at now after so much time off and just a lack of tape on him in general. But I, I mean, I think Dwight Grant gets the win. The line, like, if there was more tape on Sekulich and he looked the same as he did in that Amiv fight, I would bet Grant a minus 220. But as what it is right now, I, I can't just because I don't have enough information uh, on Sekulich. And, it, and it's a bit of a juiced line, obviously. Yeah, I don't want to bet this fight either, but if you if you look at the money, Grant opened at much more of a favorite than he is now. So we we can see right. Yeah, there's one. Yeah. Let me see here. Uh, minus two seventy and five dimes, two seventy five, two sixty five, minus three hundred on bet online. He was initially. Wow. Maybe maybe some people from Serbia know something we don't know. Um, yeah, so moving on from that, we come to probably my second favorite fight of this car, just as far as entertainment goes, which is Randy Brown versus Alex Cowboy Oliveira. Oh, yeah, I want to talk about this fight. Yeah, this this is a this is an exciting fight. I mean, they're both long, lanky strikers. Um, who have been in, uh, like, like Brown's last fight was against Vicente Luque, which uh, he got knocked out, but it was a war, a bit of a war back and forth, which is a credit to him. Um, and, and, and probably why he's favored in this, because uh, from the get-go, I'm going to say this, I think Oliveira is a more talented fighter overall, but he has been so inconsistent throughout his career. His cardio has been an issue. And not just cardio, just because he has bad cardio, but cardio because he he throws stupid techniques like spinning wheel kicks that have no chance of coming in contact with his opponent, um, and, and that that tanks his gas tank. Like against Mike Perry, he he was it was competitive for the first two rounds, one one going to the third round, and then he was gassed. He 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 had nothing. For Mike Perry in the third round, of Mike Perry is able to just piece him up, get an easy decision win there. Um, but he he seems to have corrected that a bit lately. Like uh, he he went on a bit of a losing streak, losing to Mike Perry, uh, well Gunnar Nelson, Mike Perry, and Nicholas Dalby, who who were all. I mean, Gunnar Nelson was ranked at the time and highly regarded. Mike Perry, that was when he was not shit like he is now, and Nicholas Dalby has shown flashes of brilliance. I mean, he beat Daniel Rodriguez. Um, 
Yeah. But, uh, but then he, he kind of switched, uh, he kind of went back to basics a little bit. He, I, I noticed he was more, I mean, he still is very unorthodox and it's something that you're not going to be able to change in him at 33 years of age, but he wasn't as wild. He wasn't throwing spinning wheel kicks and spinning back fists for no reason. And he was more economical in his movements against Max Griffin. He still, he didn't totally, like, he didn't totally gas. He was still tired again in, in the third round against Griffin, but he got a, a, a crucial takedown and was able to control him for most of the round, the third round to get the win after it was 1-1 going into the, that third round. Um, as far as techniques go, his, his kicks are what's really special. I mean, he's a good counter striker and especially an unorthodox counter striker. He uses a shovel uppercut, like, which is weird. It's, it's not like your traditional uppercut. Like it's really like scooping a shovel and coming up and it kind of catches people by surprise. Um, it comes in, he, it his, comes in from where they can't see it because like you said, he yeah. scoops it. It comes so low. Yeah. And he uses it both as a counter and when he's darting in. Well, he starts with uh circular motion, staying on the outside, um, trying to get the right angle. And then he explodes kind of like Masvidal will is known for his explosion. He explodes into his attacks and often then uses the, that shovel uppercut or just straight right. Um, and the surprise of just that sudden spring off his back foot and the momentum that he has will, will add a lot of power to his punches. And then he can either retreat straight, duck out the back door, retreat diagonally. Um, he's strong in the clinch and he has all those takedown, um, uh, accuracy is only 37%. He averages 6.5 attempts per 15 minutes. So he's putting people on their back and average two times per 15 minutes. And his control rate is 35% in his UFC fights, which is kind of Randy Brown's kryptonite. He's been controlled. He spent 31% of his fight time in the UFC being controlled. And that's against guys like Warley Alves and Mickey Gall more recently. Uh, a lot of that control time was wrecked up early in his career, but Gall and Warley Alves were able to control him more recently in the last two years. Uh, he allowed four minutes of control time to each of them. And although he beat them both, that Warley first round could have been a 10-8 against Brown, really. Yeah, if he didn't uh, get a reversal at the very end of the round, I would have scored it a 10-8 for sure. And he, he got a submission against Warley in the second round. But Warley just didn't really do anything to get out of it. I mean, those long legs of Randy Brown, he's six foot three with a 78 inch reach. His leg, leg reach must be even longer. Um, those long legs really helped him sink in that triangle and, uh, choke Warley out. But sorry, okay, sorry for the tangent. Back to Oliveira. Um, like I said, when he stops using the spinning shit and just uses more basic punches, he's really good. His footwork, I I really like. And not moving on straight lines like some people that we've talked about. Like earlier in the show, we talked about uh, the Tippy Dad. Right. Straight lines. Uh, In the few upcoming up, Jessica Andrade comes in on straight lines way too often. It's a problem. It makes you very, very hittable. Oliveira doesn't do that. And when he does move on straight lines, it's only after moving circular or or diagonally. Um, but j- he just goes wild and has, uh, it's good to have fun in there, but he <laughs> has too much fun in there sometimes, which is 
can can be a problem because he gets carried away and and yeah. brawls too hard and tanks his cardio. Although it makes for some fun fights, like the Nancy Medeiros fight, one of the best fights ever. Um, but he, when he gets you down, or, no, sorry, kicks. Um, he, he, I really like that he uses leg kicks. I, I've mentioned I'm a sucker for leg kicks, and and uh, he's recently. I mean, he's always used teeps, but in his last couple of fights, he used teeps a lot more and was really getting at people's bellies, like uh, Max Griffin, who's a pretty decent level of opponent. Um, and then, yeah, as far as top pressure, it, it, it's good. I mean, Randy Brown is not great off of his back. He has that submission over Marley Alves, but he is being controlled for 31% of your fight time in the octagon is not good. Also, Randy Brown's striking defense is only 59%, which uh, it's close to uh, Oliveira, who has low 60s, but Oliveira isn't as much of a volume guy. I mean, yeah, Oliveira also has 41% accuracy on his strikes. Uh, Randy Brown is 39%. But Oliveira has a 1.7% knockdown rate, which is, that's really good for the welterweight division. Um, he, he's outlanding his opponent by one strike per minute when he's fighting from distance, while uh, Randy Brown's only outlanding by 0.6. So when you take all that and you see that, uh, Randy Brown is favored here at, what is he? Uh, the line's been moving down. Uh, I wish if we recorded yeah. this earlier, could have got it at a better number. Um, but, you know, we got a tape. Um, yeah, Randy Brown, some places he's still minus 175, minus 165. The, the best odds you're getting on Alex Oliveira are plus 131 on Bookmaker, plus 130 in a lot of other places. And yeah. so if not for Oliveira's right. cardio, I think Oliveira is the better fighter in terms of skill and technique. But it's his cardio and how erratic he's been and – yeah, just losing himself and getting into brawls right. that tank his cardio and can get him knocked out that make him a risk. But at plus money with that level of, with a slightly better striking advantage statistically and that, uh, that clear, clear, uh, takedown and control advantage, both statistically and on tape. I, I like, uh, Cowboy Oliver. He's so risky though. Just because of the cardio that I can't put a full unit on him. I'm putting half the unit. On uh, Cowboy Oliveira at uh, plus one thirty one odds, which you can get right now on Sports International um, has him at one thirty five. Really? Yep. Where did I, I missed that? But um, I kind of feel the same way. This fight scares me a little bit, but this might, you know, this is one of those bets that um, I think it's worth the risk. Hmm. I think it's worth yeah, I mean, the risk you, you for all the to, reasons you mentioned. You kind of have to take it because of pure value. I mean, I think, I think at worst it should be more like evens. I think if Oliveira wasn't didn't have those cardio issues, he he would be. I think the the odds would be reversed. He would be the minus one sixty favorite, and and Randy Brown would be the plus one thirty underdog. Right, and that's so, yeah. that's exactly why um, why I feel this. Um, I feel the same way that this should be more even. So if I can get some plus odds on Oliveira, I think it's worth it. Yep, yep, yep. 
Alright, so that's the prelims. On to the main card, which I have mixed feelings about, just as far as entertainment. <clears throat> Excuse me. But we'll start with Jimmy Smith versus... Nope. <laughs> Anthony Smith versus Jimmy Crute. Lionheart. Um, so we know who Anthony... I mean, Anthony Smith has been around the block. Yeah, obviously. we know his resume. Yeah. But he, and see, he's he's obviously very dull, durable. I mean, he took absolute beatings from John Jones, um, Alexander Rakic, and Glover Teixeira. That Glover Teixeira fight, his teeth were falling out in his corner and kept fighting. But that might not be a good thing. I mean, it, it, it's a good thing to have heart, but he has taken a lot of punishment throughout his career. And, and having lost... Uh, two of his last three, or it's more than two of his last three, it's three of his last five also, if you go back to the John Jones fight. Um, he's he's taking some beatings and he's on a bit of a downturn. Uh, he, he did win his last time against Devin Clark, but Devin Clark isn't isn't the, like a, a, a contender level fighter. Yeah, he might have been ranked at the time, but he's definitely not ranked now. Like, Anthony Smith should be beating Devin Clark 10 out of 10 times with ease. And he did. So he did what he was supposed to do. But when he fought actually elite light heavyweights like Glover, like Rockich, he got his shit beat in. There's no other way to put it. I mean, he said before the Rockich fight, oh, Alexander Rockich can't wrestle. So what did Rockich do? He came out, he kicked his legs to shit, which Anthony Smith apparently couldn't stand for like three or four days after that fight. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then wrestled him. And I so love it when fight. people do that. <laughs> yeah, he, he's a, you, you say I can't wrestle, I'm going to wrestle you. And that, that's one reason I love Rockage. But hopefully we get to see him back in there soon. Um, and then, and then obviously the Glover fight was just, just absolutely brutal. I mean, Glover, and those are the number one and number two contenders, but it, it's a pattern that we're seeing at light heavyweight. I mean, we saw it also with Rockage against Tiago Santos. Well, that was a closer fight than I thought it would be. Rockage is just a better fighter. And there's a lot. So for a while, John Jones cleaned out the division. You know, you had, I mean, it like if John Jones wasn't there, Anthony Smith and OSP never would have been title challengers. Like that's actually ridiculous that Anthony Smith and OSP were title challengers. Yeah, they were never like they're good fighters, but they were never near that level where they should have been title challengers. They're at their prime. They were like you know top ten guys. At best. Right. Jones just if had no one else. Division. He had no one else to face. Yeah, it just wasn't a good division. And now we're seeing legit light heavyweights come out of the woodworks, you know. Um Nigeria Prochaska knocked out Volkan Ozdemir last year, is, is fighting Dominic Reyes uh the week after this, which that's a banger. Reyes is another one, another light heavyweight that's actually good that's coming up. I mean, he I he beat John Jones, like obviously he didn't win this on the scorecards, but for me he beat John Jones and it was clear. Um Rockich is another one. Um Ankalaev, I think Ankalaev is a future champion. I think Rockich and Ankalaev are gonna fight for the title one day. Hopefully against each other. I would love to see that. And then Jimmy Crute is another one that I think is one of the legit light heavyweights that's up and coming and is gonna I like Crute show these old guys the door. Gonna sh- I, I mean I like Anthony Smith too but I, I don't like his skills when it comes to fighting Jimmy Crute or any new, actually good light heavyweight. Um, 
So uh, I want to talk a bit about his stats because Anthony Smith's stats are not good, especially not for someone who fought for the title. He only has 51% striking defense, like almost 50% of strikes opponents throw at him land. It's not good against a power puncher like Crude, who lit, lit up Modestus Bukowskis last time out. He he actually has a negative striking dis- differential on the feet. He's outlanded by 0.31 strikes per minute. Um, that comes from Numbers MMA. A, a lot of these numbers come from Numbers MMA. I have to make sure to shout him out always. Oh, yeah, on follow Twitter. on Twitter. Check him out. Check his podcast podcast out. He's he's the best. Um, and, and his control numbers. He His opponent control rate is 39%. He, he gets controlled in almost 40% of his UFC fight time. And he only has a 51% takedown defense. He, he's, he's lost a lot of rounds and come out to win by submission late, like against Gustafsson and against Ozdemir. Um, he does have that Lionheart, like that, like not quitting when John Jones need him in the face illegally. It's commendable, not pull, not going the Aljo route. Um, but Jimmy Crute is just on another level, even this young his career. I mean, Jimmy Crute's going to be really scary once he has... I mean, he already has a pretty good fight IQ, but once he's developed fully, he's only 25, I think, now. Once he's developed fully, he's going to be scary for this division. This And this is a crossroads fight for him. Last time he came up to light heavy, to the uh, top of top 10 of light heavyweight, he was too young, I think. I think he was 23 then. He lost to Misha Sturkinov, which he was doing better than Misha in that fight, but he made a mistake, got his back take or kind of back taken away. Yeah. It ended up being a Peruvian necktie. Right, that's is, what I was gonna say. Really got caught in a weird submission. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um but he he clearly has learned from his mistakes, I believe. I mean his last two fights were utter domination. He he uh set the record for most takedowns landed in a fight that didn't get out of the first, that was finished in the first round in UFC history by landing eight takedowns versus, let me say this right, Mikhail Oleksychuk. I hope I said that right. Probably didn't. Um, and, and then, uh, before long, I mean, kept fighting his way up, but Jimmy Crute was just relentless and he is, that, that's what we see in his grappling all the time. I mean, in his UFC debut, he fought Paul Craig. Paul Craig's one of the most legit BJJ guys in the higher weight classes. Right. And he submit, he submitted Paul Craig with a Kimura. I mean, he made mistakes in that fight, got reversed when he shouldn't have, but he still came out on top and submitted Paul Craig in his UFC debut at 22 years old. Which is, the, which is the stuff. same move he used on Olasechek. So, you know what I mean? Yeah. He, yeah, he's is. comfortable he, with he, some of that. He, he loves that Kimura trap either to reverse or to submit. I mean, he used the Kimura trap on to, to, to reverse or just threaten, um, Paul Craig numerous times in that fight. And it was never locked up really until I think there were only like 10, 15 seconds left in the fight when he got his knee on, uh, his bicep slash shoulder and, and was able to uh, trap that arm fully and make, uh, Paul Craig tap. Um, like tapping Paul Craig, that that's a high high accomplishment. Um, there there are things he hasn't been tested yet. Like his chin hasn't been tested fully. Um, he's a slightly smaller man in this fight, uh, two inches shorter. Although I I think he's just as powerful, if not more powerful, of a puncher than um, 
Anthony Smith. Uh, and his, you can't put too much weight into his stats because all of his fights have ended inside the distance in the UFC. Uh, most of them in round one. Yeah, so Cruz, Cruz the only one that went to the third. Uh, I mean, Craig, uh, Paul, yeah, Craig. Yeah, Craig. Yeah, Craig. Paul Craig. Yeah, Paul Craig. Yeah, exactly. So, so it, it's hard to put weight in there, but if you've seen him strike, you know he has legit power. I mean, he knocked Bukaskis's mouthpiece across the cage with a straight. Is I guess an overhand right, but it it was not one of those with a huge load up. It came right down the pipeline, bam, smashed Bukaskis's mouthpiece out. Um, and so just just from a point of fading Anthony Smith due to his being overrated from a skill and point of view because he was a title challenger and from his dog shit stats of being controlled 39% of the time and only having 51% striking defense and being outlanded from distance in his career. That alone is enough, but then you put him up against someone like Jimmy Crute, who I believe is one of the elite light heavy, going to be one of the elite light heavyweights. He's not where Rockic is yet, not where Akalaev is yet, but he's, he's much younger. He's 25. He's a lot of room to grow. He he's a legit BJJ black belt. I mean, all the submissions on his record show that clearly. Um, and, and just the way he rolled with Paul Craig for three rounds, like it wasn't just him submitting Paul Craig. He rolled with Craig for all three rounds. Yeah, it there wasn't went, much the, breaking in that fight. There was nine seconds left in the third round when he got to Kimura. You know what I mean? He fought him. Yeah, and it's it's hard to roll with Paul. Not many people can roll with Paul Craig. Paul Craig, like, if I'm ranking BJJ up there at the top, I probably only put um, Glover clearly above Paul Craig. And Paul Craig's not nearly the striker Glover or these other guys are, but he's great with BJJ. So, yeah, I mean, the line is a bit juiced. Uh, 195, I think, is the best we're getting right now. That's what I got earlier. So, ooh. Five Dimes is back down to 185. Yeah, uh, I, I see uh, Bet365 at 189. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah so, yeah, Sports Bet is even 181. I don't have Sports Bet, so, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put out there the line that I'm betting. So I'm betting a union on Jimmy Crute at uh, minus 185 because I think he's just better for all oh. the reasons I've stated. <clears throat> My my view of this fight is that uh, if you if you look at Crew, um, he's had four UFC fights. He lo- he lost the fight to Serkinov with the Peruvian next eye, which we both said is you know that's that's not an oft used move. I think he just got caught in it. He's had four UFC fights; they've all been finishes. He got two performance of the nights, one with a submission and one with a KO. And not for nothing, the fight only went to uh, the first round, 249 into the first. But uh, he knocked out my buddy Sam. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, yeah he is. so he's 4-1 he's and one in the UFC. Yeah. yeah, Paul Craig, Sam Alvey, Mahalo Luxaychuk, and Modestus Dukowskis. Those are four pretty good wins. Right, and you know... Um, it was it was you know halfway through the first round, but Sam touched him a couple of times, and he's got pretty heavy hands. So I think his chin's probably better than people have been able to see so far. Anthony Smith, 
I agree with all of your assessments. Like, he should have never fought John Jones, but John Jones had just cleaned out the division and people didn't want to see him beat the same guy anymore. So it was more of yeah. a next man up thing. Yeah, it, I mean, he he got that. Yeah, Anthony Smith got the John Jones title shot. He beat old, really old Rashad Evans and Shogun Hua. That's what I was going to say. If you look at Anthony Smith's wins, you can go back to Hector Lombard. You know, it's yeah. a bunch of guys who are no longer, even Gustafson, you know, I mean, he yeah. he doesn't even fight really anymore, you know. Yeah, but Gustafson was his last good quote-unquote win. I mean, the win that earned him a title shot was Ozdemir, and Oz, that was a very competitive fight. Um, he, he got the submission, but it was it, it was a very competitive fight for as long as it lasted. Um, and, 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 and yeah, Ozdemir, again, is one of those guys who was only at the top, like, Ozdemir fighting DC for that vacant title was kind of, I mean, DC was good, great, but Ozdemir fighting him for that title was kind of a joke. Like, if you, if you, especially if you look at the guys there now, Rocket Chick Alive, right. Jerry Prochazko, who knocked out Ozdemir last year, it's, it, the, the division is changing and the old guys gotta get out, the new blood gotta come in. That's right. how I look at light heavyweight, and we're, we're definitely gonna see a change, we're seeing a changing of the guard already. Yeah. I think Anthony Smith's resume is kind of padded, really. Yeah, for, for sure. Uh, yeah, the the two wins that stand out are Gustafson, which is this is not the Gustafson that fought John Jones the first time. This is the Gustafson that fought John Jones the second time. Right. <laughs> two different Gustafsons, and then Ozdemir, who I mean that that's a good win for the time. That's the one win that I rate, but I don't rate it more. Uh, like I don't. I, I would take. Jimmy Crute today over Ozdemir back then any day of the week. So we're in agreement here. It's Crute for a unit. Crute for a unit, yes. At and yeah, the odds, the odds started at minus one eighty. They jumped, or, or at least when I saw them, they they are. So I, yeah, like a month ago they started at uh, minus two forty. We got back up to like or down to minus one eighty. Now back up to minus two hundred in most places, but you can still get minus one eighty five at five dime. Yeah, so five dime. Five dime opened at negative two forty, so that's a great bet. Yep. So okay, on to uh, so we have three shit fights. And one amazing fight in these next three. I mean, I, I hope I'm wrong, but I, w- I guess we'll just see. Let's let's get into Uriah Hall versus Chris Weidman, which I, I don't have much to say about it, really. It, it, it opened at evens, which is, excuse me, pickups, which I thought was appropriate because it's, it's basically if Weidman can take down Uriah, he will win. If right. Uriah can keep it standing, he'll knock out Weidman because Weidman is chinny. He's he's in his last seven. He has five losses, all of them by KO. Right, and Uriah, I feel the same way about your assessment. Uriah can throw power to, and Weidman is chinny. Yeah, I mean he he wasn't always that way, but that spinning back kick against the. Uh, Luke Rockhold was the beginning of the end. It, it's funny how one one small mistake can change the trajectory of your career. But yeah, I mean, you look at it, his wins are his losses are Rockhold, Romero, Musasi, then Souza and Ray is not horrible losses, but still all knockouts. Like, um, and, and he beat Gastelum, and 
that was three years ago. His last good win. Akhmedov is an okay win. I mean, it was just a wrestling match, and he and he won the decision. Under, uh, an underwhelming, one, a decent one. Akhmedov is an okay wrestler, but an underwhelming one. And Akhmedov doesn't have that KO power where he's gonna knock out someone. Right. In- interesting notes on this is uh, Uriah Hall beat Musasi back in 2015 with a spinning back kick. Yeah, I mean he's the king of having I mean, this, the 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 ultimate fighter against Adam. What's his face? Spinning back kick is the most one of the most brutal knockouts I've ever seen. It was, it was spinning. I mean, a spinning back kick, uh, spinning hook kick, crazy shit. But um, yeah. So I mean, Uriah, but Uriah has failed. Like back then, Dana said, "Oh, he's the next Anderson Silva," and he has clearly failed to live up to that. But it, it's a lot of pressure to put on someone, obviously. But yeah, yeah saying he, he's he, the next greatest ever is a lot to yeah, live he up failed, to. I, I mean, he lost the Ultimate Fighter finale to Gastelum, uh, and then more recently, he's he I mean he lost to Whitaker, Brunson, Musasi beat Joko, lost to Costa. He is on a three, three fight win streak right now, but that that three fight win streak is against Bevan Lewis, which is like uh, it was nobody, uh, uh, Shoeface, Anthony Carlos Jr. split decision win. And then Anderson Silva and his retirement party, which Anderson Silva just charged at it. I mean, and, and Anderson Silva was actually 45 year old Anderson Silva was actually getting the better of him in some exchanges uh, there for a bit before just rushing in and getting caught, dropped, knocked out and, uh, well, being kind of forcibly retired. He's now boxing. So I'm not going to watch that. Right. And that's why I believe your assessment is correct. Like, Weidman can wrestle fuck him. If he gets a hold of him yeah. and gets him down, he can wrestle fuck him. But if it stays yeah. on the feet for any extended period of time, if you look back at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, Uriah Hall's last nine wins, only one was a split decision. The rest were all KOs. You know what I mean? If, yeah, if exactly. Weidman gets caught on his feet, he's in trouble. For sure. Yeah, and, and yeah, and he he's I mean Silva's kind of chinny was kind of chinny now he's forty five but I would put Weidman at the same level of chinny and Weidman's getting up there too he's thirty six I mean and 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 Musasi in twenty fifteen had a better chin than Weidman does now and that's one of the KOs on his record Yoko too better chin um but but yeah but so the best way to do this is to analyze stats because we know Weidman and Hall are guys who have been around for. A while we they're known quantities, and I don't think I have to analyze techniques here to 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 get a good picture of this fight. Um, Chris Weidman needs to win with his wrestling. He has a forty-seven percent takedown accuracy in the UFC. He has forty-five percent control rate. Um, he got five minutes control time against Omar Yakhmedov last time, who's, who's a decent enough wrestler. But he gets outlanded on his feet throughout his career. Not by much, but he, he's been outlanded. He's on the negative end of his striking differential. Uh, Uriah Hall, on the other hand, 70% takedown defense, which is decent. Like, that's about average. That's what you hope to at least have 70%. Um, but he has spent 26.5% of the time being controlled, kind of showing that, like, when he gets down, he has a hard time getting back up. Um, he does have one of the highest knockdown ratios in middleweight history at 2.6%. Uh, 
Um, but he's always been known as, even though he has these super beautiful techniques, spinning kicks that aren't wasted energy, they actually land when he uses them enough, or right. uses them correctly. Uh, he's been known as a tentative striker. People bet on Uriah and then be like, well, if he threw more, he would have won. It's, yeah, no shit. <laughs> but he didn't throw more, and we know that about Uriah, that he doesn't throw enough. Even though he's, he's a really, beautiful striker when he does strike, he only outlands his opponents by .08 strikes per minute from distance. So this this isn't even one. I So when the odds started moving towards Uriah, it was evens, holding at evens for a while. Then Weidman moved to minus 115, now minus 125, even minus 130. So you can get Uriah Hall some places at plus 105, plus 107. I started being like, oh, I kind of want to bet on Uriah. It's plus money. But it's it's not an, it's not enough. It's not enough of an edge. Like I, I think evens is where it should be. So the edge, if you wanna, someone wants to plug that into an implied odds calculator, um, plus one hundred seven versus minus one ten. That's that's not enough of an edge for me to bet on. No, I wouldn't touch this fight either. If you just had to uh, like the smell test, you know, like a. If we're if we're sitting around drinking beers watching the fight, I would say I think Hall's going to win it. But uh, yeah, I it, yeah. If I have to pick, I'm picking Hall. Though I might be influenced by that plus money that staring me in the face. Then <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could also decide to go Uriah Hall by KO, which is, but that's only like minus two hundred. Which, like I said, I, if I'm taking a a method of victory bet, unless it's like a really sure thing, I, I like it to. Uh, be more than that. I could, I, I could theoretically see Uriah winning this. Um. Although, okay, yeah, okay. I mean, if if you if if someone's betting this fight, really wants to bet this fight, that's what I advise. I put small money on Uriah by knockout. Right. All right, are we or done with that one? The distance to be safe. Okay, joining yeah. us now is our NASCAR expert, my motorsports friend, and a huge fan of the UFC. He knows what he's talking about. Well, Peppa, what's up, man? What the fuck is up, Soft? Not a lot. Just going through it. I was looking at our production notes. Val and I have been trying to trim down this show, but it's looking like it's going to be an hour and a half podcast. We so, can't get well, through it any quicker. I, I, I think it can be shorter on fight nights, but this one is so in that three title fights, you know, it is the core of the year. I think so no, far it's well, it's so not. far UFC 262 is going to be the card of the year. UFC 262 we'll looks amazing. Well, it, 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 262 it, is so far out. There's so many things that could go wrong. It's like a month from now. Cause I'm, yeah, it's okay, so yeah, far. Yeah, yeah. There's this so many people that could get COVID, or there's so many Pepper people that could get hair and ACL. All right. All right, Pepper. Here's how we here's how we do it. We get to we we get to the fight. Val gives his analysis, and then we give our commentary. Cool. Can't wait. All right. Yeah. What's up next, Val? Uh, what's up next is Valentina Shevchenko versus Jessica Andrade. This is uh, Valentina's best. Biggest test since, uh, since Joanna's and Jacek. And, and before that, since Amanda Nunez, obviously. Um, the odds are so steep. Valentina's like minus 400. Um, Dan Hardy, uh, actually compared it to Whitaker versus Gaslam, kinda, which I think is appropriate. That in, might be fair. In a lot of ways. Like Whitaker is, is an elite kickboxer. 
Valentine is an elite kickboxer. Gastelum is a tank who charges forward um, and is undersized. Andrade is a tank who charges forward, and, and she has the power, but she's 5'2". She's tiny, especially moving up to flyweight. Although her power could carry up the flyweight, it's not going to be as devastating as it was at strawweight, picking up people like Rose and dropping them on her head. Um, but she's still one of, like, pound for pound, she's still one of the strongest punches out there. Um, but I only see this as a puncher's chance for her. She's not a technical fighter, whereas Valentina is the most technical kickboxer. I mean, I think Rose is the most technical boxer. Valentina is the most technical kickboxer in women's MMA. I think Valentina's pound for pound. Like, I think Nunez is the GOAT, but Valentina's pound for pound the best. Like, if Valentina was the size of Amanda Nunez... She would be the, the goat. She, I mean, she beat Nunez in that second uh, fight. I, I, most people I agree concur on with that. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, technique. Andrade. She, like I alluded to earlier, talking about Kevin Natividad and comparing him to Andrade. She charges in, trying to hit you with hooks. I, I don't know, like what kind of coaching she's getting, or if she's just uncoachable. But like, it's not helping her improve she's winning on brute power and aggression i mean she she added something like she, the the uh, versus chukagian she added a really nice body shot and that got chukagian out of there but she's still just charging it with hooks and people like rose are able to just pick her off with um with, with straight punches keeping her out of range with that jab which is what rose did through the first round of their first fight before getting slammed in her head and the first two rounds of that second fight um, which I don't know how that was a split decision. Just throwing that out there. Um, she she also doesn't move her head nearly enough, which that's something that I'm also gonna have a criticism of for Zhang Wei Li. Although Zhang is a much much better fighter than Andrade. Um, and one thing she does is block straight punches as she comes in, not by moving her head like a normal person. But by leaning her head back and parrying while still walking forward, so it puts her off off balance and kind of moves her head into a position where someone as elite as Valentina could take advantage of that. Like if she throws a one-two, if she throws the Whitaker special one-two followed by high kick, high kick that one-two could put Andrade in the exact position where Shevchenko wants her to be. Um, strength could be an asset in the clinch. Although Valentina is really good in the clinch, she did have some trouble in her last fight versus Maya, though that's relative because Valentina trouble for her is losing one round, whereas even though she won the whole fight very convincingly, um, her success in clinching will, will largely depend on her entries if she does it intelligently by disguising it with punches then she could have success getting into the clinch with Valentina and maybe one of her best chances at knocking out Valentina is through clinch uh, breaks, you know? Yeah, yeah, the the throwing the punch and the separate, yep. Yeah, exactly. Um, But the thing is, Valentina has faced Amanda Nunez. Like, Andrade is really powerful, but she's not as powerful as Amanda Nunez. Um, and Valentina went to decision with her twice, won the second fight in most people's eyes again. Um, but yeah, sometimes she just bull rushes into the clinch. She tried to do that with Rose in the second fight and Rose just tapped her on the head a bunch of times with the jab. Um, one weakness of Valentina is she throws spinning shit when, which is a theme on this card 
just like lack of head movement is. She throws spinning shit when she shouldn't throw spinning shit. Like, Valentina lands more than most who throw spinning shit in stupid situations. But she still throws it too much. And if, if Andrade can get out of the way, Valentina being off balance could allow uh, Andrade to step in and, and get Nice the counter, yep. Yeah. Um, but her main thing is is power and volume. She uh, throws 15 strikes per minute, lands 43% of them. But she only outlands people by 0.2 strikes per minute because she has faced people like Joanna and Rose who can counter her really well. Um, she doesn't cut caged when she's being super aggressive, which like some an aggressive fighter who's trying to put someone in the corner and smash them with hooks needs to cut cage. And she doesn't do that. Um, and, and just, I said that I mentioned this in passing before, but the level of coaching she's getting, I don't think it's where it needs to be because she doesn't show much improvement technically and just relies on brute skill and volume, brute strength and volume, uh, in both spamming takedowns and spamming left and right hooks. Yeah. Um, yeah, and again, in the first Rose fight, obviously she lost, but Rose won that first round clearly. She, she was stinging her from outside, and that's what Valentina needs to do in this fight, is just keep her at distance. Valentina could knock her out by catching her as she comes in, um, but Valentina's uh, knockout finish and finishing ability in general are overrated probably because of the Jessica I uh, knockout, the head kick. But, I mean, she's still a good finisher relative to her division, just... But Andrade, although Andrade is really tough, but her reckless entries could get her caught and knocked out. Um, But but Valentina doesn't really have weaknesses anywhere. She She has... Good ground game. Her kicks are amazing. She can use side of front kicks to keep Andrade at range. Um, if Valentina wants to take it to the ground on her own terms, she can. She took Joanna down five times in, in that fight when she won the flyweight championship. Yo, Joanna. Joanna, Joanna, yo mama, whatever. Oh, um, look, look at the southern guy getting the Polish pronunciation right. Respect the <laughs> she, goddamn Polish people. They've been through a lot. Okay, Val. She has, um, Valentina has a 64%, uh, d- uh, defense from d- in distance striking. It's really good. Um, 75% takedown defense, but a lot of times when she was taken down was at bantamweight. No one's taken her down more than once other than Amanda Nunez in their fights. So Andrade's, uh, voluminous wrestling should be negated by her length, uh, strength because it's 125 and Andrade isn't as strong at 125 as she w- was at 115 and just her overall skill at, at, at wrestling. Um, she like, she won't be able to pick up Val, uh, and, and slam her on her head. Like she did to Rose. I think I already may have already said that, but I, I, I yeah, I just think Valentina is the most technical striker in women's MMA, but the problem is the line. So you better bet the line, not the fighter. I am not, I can't bet the minus 400 line, even though it's a much better line than you usually get on Valentina. Last time out, she was minus 1100. Uh, and it's been the same story until you go back to the Nunez fights. Uh, I don't actually don't remember what the line was on the Ioana fight. Probably closer to this, but yeah, she, uh, she's always a huge favorite. Right. And, uh, and, and so you would, to bet it, you would have to bet method of victory or over under. But it's just not clear. Like, I don't think Valentina is a good, a great finisher compared to what people seem to think of her. 
but the like Andrade's aggressiveness couldn't get her caught and seriously hurt. Like, like you said, the line is the problem here. Um, you said something else I wanted to touch on too is you, you said Andrade was uncoachable. Or you said maybe well, I, she was. I don't know if she's. You said know, maybe she was. Or I, just has bad coaching. Uh, right. Um, I think that's a problem with both of them for the same reason, like you said, like, uh, Shevchenko, Valentina, she doesn't cut off the cage like she should. And you would think she would have learned that at some point. She hasn't. They both, they both have a, uh, a set skill set that they're going to run with. Um, and I think, uh, Andrade moving up. I think the line's probably where it should be, but I would not bet this fight for the same reason. There's not too many times I'm going to um, place uh, $4.20 to make $1. You yeah. know, I'm just so, not going to do it. I'm going to say this right now. The only fight that I can see where I would do that is Leon Edwards versus Nate Diaz because Nate Diaz has no chance. Pepper, no what chance. Do you, Pepper, what do you think about this fight? This fight, yeah, yeah. I mean, I agree. Like, uh, so if we look at implied pro- probabilities, um, Andrade's plus three thirty-five odds or whatever translate to about twenty-three percent, twenty percent, and and really, what Andrade has is a puncher's chance. Which, right. and in this fight, a puncher's chance to me is only like ten percent. So it's just, it's not worth the value. Like, if anything, there is an edge on Valentina, but I'm not taking it because, like, and, and it, it, yeah. Uh, no, no. <laughs> so so backpacking on what Val said, I actually agree with most of what he said, and I crunched the numbers myself, and I came up with a ninety percent chance of her getting absolutely fucked up by Valentina Shevchenko, one of the most dangerous strikers, not only in the fucking women's division but all of the men's division. One of the best fucking strikers. I'm gonna go ahead and say throw. The goddamn house on second round knockout. Second round. All knockout. right, I like it. We, we need strike does not endorse the views of Pepper. Um, <laughs> we're not officially betting that. No, Pepper. no, but he he might he might be a fun person to have, just like the yeah, the emotional guy. Yeah, this just he's, like he's, I the, saw he's the color commentator. <laughs> Pepper will add some color to the show. We're too white. So Pepper, what we do is uh, we base it in units. How many units are you putting on on uh, knockout in the second round, Pepper? How many units do I have? I, I mean, Val, explain it to him. Units generally one percent of your bankroll, so okay. Um, so if you have a thousand dollar bankroll to bet with, a unit would be ten bucks. Okay. Um, if I have a thousand dollar bankroll for this weekend specifically, I am putting, and it's all going to bets. Correct. And and the odds the odds on Shevchenko in round two are plus eight hundred, so pretty good. So if all of that, the, so that whole thousand dollars going to bets, it, it's not going anywhere else. I'm not feeding my fucking kids with that. Um, I am putting two hundred dollars on KO second round Valentina Shevchenko. Book it. Book it. <laughs> all right. Val, he, he might be he might be a nice component to add to this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, spice it up a little. All right, I so retarded with money. Who cares? <laughs> Can't take it with you when you die. 
that's great for a gambling podcast where we're yeah. trying to make money. Yeah, well, it might be fun. To, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, uh, uh, what's your crazy friend say? Because, uh, Pepper, how we do it is we run, like, we're just trying to make money. But, I mean, having the crazy uncle go, fuck that, bet it all. It might be kind of entertaining. I will be your Alex Jones. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Right. And I um, know this I know this is going to be your pick for one of our segments. Actually, I want to do the people's main I, I so I'm pretending that Usman versus Masvidal is not the main event because it who cares? Zhang Weili versus Rosnam Yunus is obviously the people's main event. Right. And I'm going to treat it as such. So, I'm going to so talk we're about gonna go to order and talk first. about this. Yeah, I'm going to talk about Masala Usman like it's the co-main, which it should be. It's, so I mean, I have a lot written here, but I'm not going to go into all of it. Basically, Usman, now that Khabib is retired, is the best wrestler in MMA wrestling. He does things that Khabib did really well, though he doesn't have as much of the devastating top pressure, but when his opponents start to get back to their feet, he, he'll just suck them back to the mat, especially against the cage. And one thing about the about him and Khabib liking to take people down against the cage, which other wrestlers like Ben Askren, Ben Askren always liked to take people out in the open. He didn't want to use the cage. Khabib loves using the cage. Usman loves using the cage. ATT, where Jorge Masvidal fights out of, it is one of the biggest in teaching the guys. You get taken down, always get to the cage, use it to stand up. But that puts you in Usman's spin cycle. Wheelhouse, right. Which is, yeah, it, this, which the cycle is... He takes you down, wears on you a bit. You start to get back up by while carrying his whole body weight. He just knocks out one of your arms, right? Uh, pulls a leg or something. One of your legs right. down, trips you again, body lock, whatever. He gets you back down, and it and it starts all over again. And that's how he gets you tired. That's what he did to Masvidal last time. I don't care that it was on six days' notice. I mean, it's a factor, but not a huge one. Definitely not a huge one enough to warrant a rematch. But that's been talked about to death. Um. And and that's why he not only outlanded Masvidal, yeah, beat Masvidal in every category. He, the, one of those categories is strikes from distance. So standing up, you say, oh, standing up, Masvidal, uh, uh, street Jesus. He, he's a street fighter. He's a kickboxer. He, he Usman, he doesn't have that striking level. Usman outstruck Masvidal from distance while striking on the feet. Forty-two significant strikes for Usman, thirty-eight for Masvidal. A lot of that. <clears throat> is because of that that spin cycle, but also Usman has made up a lot of ground in striking, especially under Trevor Whitman. I mean, he knocked out Gilbert Burns with the jab. For fuck's sake! That that is a wild stat, by the way. You should repeat what you just said. Forty-two to thirty-eight, Usman outlanded Masvidal from distance. That's Who not would just against the tent cage. That's purely uh, from distance, right? And I think. Um... And Val, we don't want to interrupt your commentary too much while you're giving us the uh, analysis, but I think a lot of that has to do with because everyone is so afraid of Usman grabbing him. You know what I mean? I think, sure. I think uh, f- you know, guys that are better on their feet kind of hold back because one errant punch and he'll be in there on you. Yeah, it's 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 the same reason Khabib knocked down Connor in, in their fight yeah. because you're worried about the threat of the takedown, but also. You get tired. Like, that's that lactic acid is building up. Your yeah. muscles are tightening. You are tired. Masvidal was tired. I mean, Masvidal knew 
like Masvidal will be in better shape this time, but he still kind of has to get an early knockout because Usman will put him in that cycle. And 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 last time that's what he knew, and that's why he he tried to explode from the get go. When it didn't work, he got exhausted. The thing though is, yeah, I see Usman now uh, after seeing him fight for the title uh, a few times. I see Usman now as a one seventy African Khabib. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Although I think I think I think he's a little not as good of a wrestler, but I think he's a better striker. True. Um, because that, so we need to talk about Usman's jab because it's up there with the best, not just in MMA today, but it, the best ever. I mean, he has that thing. I mean, first off, he can he can switch stances and jab from both stances. We we saw that against Gilbert. We've seen it consistently. He did it to Colby too, but his jab has improved under Trevor Whitman as everyone's does because it's Trevor Whitman, but he has so much power in it. Like he, he throws the simplest punches, just ones and twos really, but they're knocking people down and he doesn't need to load up on them. A lot of people make the mistake of loading up on their punches. Usman just has them in the holster and they come out of the holster, bang, straight out, no flourish, nothing, no winding up because he knows the power is there and assists. I mean, you look at his physique, he is ripped to shreds. I should probably stop sucking his dick so much, but his jab is beautiful. <laughs> he, he hits, he knocked Burns out with a jab. And I'm assuming with another training camp, this will be his third training camp under Trevor Whitman, it's only gotten better. Um, so, and Masvidal, yeah, had this time we'll have the full camp. The weight cut won't be as tough, although they both had tough weight cuts last time. Both were around 190 when uh, they got the call. Um, and Usman was training for Gilbert Burns, who he was going to strike against. He wasn't training for Masvidal, who he didn't want to strike against Masvidal. Because, yeah, Masvidal isn't as good on the ground. Burns has... Jiu-Jitsu to be skit wary of, and Usman had that experience with Gilbert Burns where he knew from training with him, yeah, I can beat this guy like this. Um, I think there is more of a finishing threat in this one because, uh, but because of what Usman wants to do. He took the criticism from last time, and although he's like, yeah, I got the win, he wants to put a stamp on it. He really wants to finish Masvidal, but I think it's still Oh, he wants to distance. very bad. He wants he, too bad. He, definitely. But I still think it's going to go the distance, but the value on, like, Usman, at, but, uh, like I said three times the show already, I think. No, I'm not. I want my method of victory props to be at least plus money. Like, if this was plus te- 110, I'd take it. It's like minus 145 for Usman by decision. It's, um, yeah, it's another thing. Like I said earlier, I'm not going to bet 420 to win a dollar. And, uh, and this is a weird thing for me because I love Masvidal from his old street fighting videos and stuff. He, you know what I mean? He's a warrior. I love him, but I think Usman is the better all-around guy, and I don't like him. I think he's an asshole. But I, I got to be honest. He's probably going to win this fight, but the odds, the odds don't say put money on it. Yeah. Uh, one thing I want to throw out there, Usman is the pound for pound. Uh, John Jones is not pound for pound number one. Usman is pound for pound number one. Right John now. Jones has to fucking fight if he if he wants to still be pound for pound. Yeah, I mean they're they're letting him hold on to that, but 
Us- I think if Usman beats Masvidal, the UFC will officially recognize him as pound for pound number one. And in my mind, he has been pound for pound number one for that's not, a bit that's now. That's not a ridiculous like, idea. Yeah, it, it's for me, it's Usman, Volkanovski, Jan, Holloway, Izzy. Those are my top five pound for pound. So I'm going to be the fun drunk uncle here, and I want a Masvidal KO round one and bet the fucking house on it. Let's just do that. You know what? Let's have fun. Let's have fun. Let's go with the fun option. How fun would it be if Jorge Masvidal was the new 170 champion and he had to defend against all the fun fucking people you want to see him fight? It would be fun. Like I said, I like Masvidal. Val, you've probably got him handy. What are the odds on Masvidal first round KO? Masvidal round one plus 900. All right, so, so with, there you go. Round by round odds, they get higher as rounds go on. But so, okay, so that's what Pepper says. I'm going kind of the opposite because I think Usman really wants this finish. And he, the only way for him to get it, I think, is late. He has to tire out Masvidal and then really, really put the hurt on him. So I'm, and, and I'm making this official. This isn't just me throwing out random right, this shit. Is official I'm one. putting, I'm putting point one unit on each Usman in round four and Usman in round five. Usman in round four plus sixteen hundred. Usman in round five plus two thousand. Oh, those are good bets. Yeah. So yeah, I, I mean the the wins in round blank always get steeper as fights go on because most finishes are early on. Which is the case, makes sense for Masvidal, doesn't make sense for Usman. He gets Masvidal tired, that's how he has to finish him if he's gonna finish him. Okay, I put, I put 20 of my units on the last fight. Um, I know what the main event is. So I'm gonna go ahead and put 60, 6-0 of my units on Masvidal by KO round one. Fucking put it in the books. It's there. Hey, listen, these guys that you're listening to right now, they're Goldman Sachs. You know what I am? I'm fucking Disneyland. We're going to fucking party over here. Fuck these motherfuckers. If you want to make money, yeah, go with these fucking stiff-ass motherfuckers. If you want to have fun and fucking do cocaine on a Wednesday night when nobody gives a fuck, that's where the fuck we're at. I'm putting 60 fucking units on Masvidal KO round one. Book it. (laughs) <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I have a lot. I, I had a lot more to talk about, but I, I don't really need to. Just how Usman wasn't able to actually fully control Masvidal in the yeah. first fight. Just put him in that spin yeah, cycle those, and clinch him and stuff. Two weeks. And, you know, there's a lot there, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah there yeah. is. And, and how all, I think it's going to be Masvidal has to knock him out to win, but it's going to be really tough because Usman has one of the best chins. He in does MMA have a good there chin. with Tony Ferguson. Piotr Jan and Kelvin Gaskell. He does there, have a good chance. But uh, those two are pretty much known quantities. And since they've already fought once, we got some pretty good idea what needs to happen. Yeah. Here's, um, yeah. here's it, the... It's also interesting, too, that they, that they train at the same gym for so fucking long. And they are very familiar with each other. Yeah. And, I mean, I feel like a lot of what we saw in the first fight was just what it is, and those are who those people are, and there's not going to be a lot of fucking difference. I don't think, no, e- even though it was like a two week training camp or whatever for Mazadal the first time, I really don't think it is going to be that much of a difference because they are so fucking familiar with each other. 
Yeah, and Usman can just... Usman has more time to prep for... Like I said, he was prepping for a striking battle last time. This time he's uh, preparing for the striking savvy of Masvidal and how to avoid it and take him down. I don't think that's going to really account for his cardio or anything. I think... I think he's... I think... I think Usman... I think uh, Usman plans for people to plan against him more than he plans for people. Because he's he's a fucking champ. He's been the champ for he a has, while. But I think I, he's he's not he's not going to change up his fighting style a great deal to accommodate for no. somebody else. I think more so people are are going to have to accommodate to fight him. And he knows that, so I think he's just going to be Usman. I don't think he, he's going to go in and be like, "All right, well, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to do more wrestling and shit like but that." He, I think he's going to, he does, he's do just going to have to react to people because he is who the fuck he, he is. He does fight differently for different. I, I get what you're saying, but he fights differently for different. Like he will enforce his will on you, but he'll choose which will he wants to enforce. It's either that straight punching, you know, uh, shotgun double barrel shotgun ones and twos down the chamber, like the Colby and. Burns fights, yeah. or that that spin cycle wrestling, like the Woodley and Masvidal fights. He he can go either way. He did. He, Colby didn't want to wrestle with him. He didn't want to wrestle with Colby. He he was able to outstrike Colby. He didn't want to. Shame, by the way, he didn't want to risk uh, the jujitsu of Gilbert Burns, so he struck with him, and it worked. But Masvidal Masvidal doesn't have the power that Gilbert Burns has, but he's much. He has much more technical savvy. Like, I think his one-punch power is way overstated. There's that new UFC promo where it's like, oh, Masvidal had a bunch of decisions. Then one day, he decided to start punching harder. That's bullshit. He just... That is bullshit. It, it, yeah. He, it, he doesn't really have one-punch KO power. It's more of his savvy of setting people up. If, if he could if do what watch he did any breakdown Aspen every time, he just would do that. <laughs> yeah. if, if you watch the, any breakdown of the till knockout, he he sat there until he was losing that fight, but he sat there until up very smart, um, read his reactions to a certain uh, left hook he was throwing, which wasn't even intended to hit, yeah. just throwing it out there to see what he would do. Did it once, did it twice. The second time he threw a straight with it, till did something else, and then he followed him across the octagon with that shifting knockout that he got. All right, so let's summarize. On that fight, Val is putting a tenth of a unit on the, uh, the Usman. fourth. Usman in the fourth and fifth submission, correct? No, just Usman in the fourth and fifth. All right, and... Finished in the fourth and fifth, not Pap- Papa is putting 60 units on first round <laughs> KO for Masvidal. All right, God now... Now we get to the people's, the people's main event. And this one, Val, I know because we mentioned it earlier in the show when I gave my uh, dog of the week, my walking the dog, this must be yours. Yeah, it is. Spoiler alert. So, uh, who do I start with? They're both so good. This is this is the best fight. Like, there's two amazing fights this year. This fight and Moreno versus Figueredo 2. I mean, there's other good ones, but those are the two fights that I'm like, yes, this is what we need in our lives. So Zhang Wei Li is one of the toughest women alive. She's an absolute brood at 115. I mean, there's talks of her being the, the next test for Valentina Shevchenko. 
her technical game is a bit underrated just because of that war she was in with Joanna. She has a diverse arsenal of kicks, including side kicks and body slash leg kicks. She throws everything with bad attention. Um, if you look at her earlier UFC fights, she would just stand still at times and then decide to explode. But in her last two fights, um, well, especially against Joanna, the Andrade fight what didn't last long. Um, she, she, she bounced her side to side more, though it still wasn't like anywhere near how much Rose moves her feet, moves her head. Um, but that could be a consequence of Joanna making it hard for someone to stand still because of her activity. Whereas Whaley's first three UFC opponents, Gabrielle Taylor, Tisha Torres, and some other random chick didn't, didn't force the issue as much. Whaley was able to control it more. Um, when she does move around, it's more methodical than someone like Rose, who's constantly bouncing its steps, kind of like Piotr Jan, who, who takes steps. He doesn't move in big, big bouncing motions. Um, her punches aren't, although they have the power of someone like Andrade, they are economical with, uh, the motion, you know? They're not telegraphed. They're not big looping hooks. They come right down the pipe. I mean, she throws her fair share of hooks, but she also throws straight. She doesn't just wildly throw hooks like Jessica Andrade. Um, lead inside kick is money. That If she's going to win this fight, she needs to invest in that lead inside kick, which she's used consistently throughout her career on Rose. Um, I mean, used consistently throughout her career, she needs to use it on Rose because Rose has been shown to slow down when her legs get beat up. Like in this second Joanna fight, she won the first two, Rose won the first two rounds, lost rounds three and four, and then although her uh, footwork was severely compromised, her movement was severely compromised, she had to dig deep to win round five and showed she can brawl, which people don't think of Rose as a brawler, but she can do it. But that's what Wei Lee wants to enforce. So by kicking the lead leg, she'll take away Rose's movement and force it to become more of a brawl as Rose is able to, yeah, move around less. Her number one problem, though, is head movement. Wei Li does, again, like like Andrade and like Natividad, uh, doesn't move her head enough. When she's not throwing, she moves it from side to side a little bit in short motions. But when she's throwing, she doesn't move it off the center line. When she's throwing huge punches, she does not move it off the center line. And that's why Joanna outstruck her in that last fight, the fight of the year, the best woman's fight of all time. Yana outstruck her, and I scored that fight for Yoana. I'm not mad Whaley won it. You can score it either way. But Yoana outlanded her, and a lot of that was on counters as Whaley was throwing. Um, she also, like Valentina, like I mentioned, throws too many spinning kicks and backfists that rarely land. I think I've only ever seen one spinning backfist of hers land. Um, but Valentina lands hers more often, even if they're kind of waste. Um but yeah, they're waste of energy and put her in bad positions where Rose could like uh clinch her, take her back, take her down, just like I said about Andrade, except for I think the chance of Andrade doing that to Valentina is much lower than the chance of Rose doing that to Wei Li. Rose has probably a better ground game than Zhang Wei Li. Zhang Wei Li's strength is a very is an asset. Like she's very strong in scrambles and she doesn't accept positions and you know, use butterfly guard, elevates, gets back to her feet. Um she, she, for takedowns herself, she likes the head and arm throw a lot and just cause brute power, she's able to execute it a lot, but I don't think she will want to go with the ground with Rose who, like, like it has pretty good jujitsu. Um, 
And if she does end up on the bottom, she she has a decent guard. It's not anything special. It's not active. Like she's not throwing using rubber guard or anything. Um, if she gets put into that bottom position, it's when she's like initially taken down that she's really really fighting to get out of that bottom position. Um, she in her first few fights. So there's a stark contrast between her last two fights and her first three. She didn't seem like like anything super special. She seemed like a good fighter, but against Tisha Torres. And Danielle Taylor, she didn't seem like champ material. She she was having good but not amazing performances against low to mid tier competition. But then she just put all those tools together to look like a world beater against fighters like Joanna and Jessica Andrade. Although one thing is this could be I I don't know. Whaley is great, but this could be her being overrated because Joanna and Andrade bought the fight that way Lee wanted, which was an all-out brawl. Yeah, Andrade, so, that's her style of fighting. Joanna is more technical, but she's also a brawler, and I think Wei Lee is somewhere in the middle. She's technical like Joanna, but she's a brawler like Andrade, and she made either... But I don't know if she made them fight their fight, that fight her fight of a brawl. Well, I know Andrade chose to fight the fight of a brawl. I don't know if she made Joanna fight the fight of a brawl, or if Joanna chose to brawl with her. And that's going to be interesting to see if Whaley can impose her will and make it a brawl against Rose. I think early on, Rose will have success doing what she does. I mean, she has a reach advantage. She'll try to fight from the outside using that jab, that that brilliant, brilliant left hook that's legendary by now. Um, so it, it's just a question of how the fight takes place. And it, it can really be 50-50 for me. Like I mentioned with the lead leg kick, uh, the lead inside leg kick, Whaley needs to use that to slow Rose down and, and make it, if she can't in the early rounds make it into a brawl, slow her down in, in the later rounds definitely will have a good chance at making it into a brawl. Um, Whaley will have the edge over Rose in a brawl for sure. Although Rose is tougher than people think, I, I, uh, for sure. She's, she's stronger than people think too. She has the most knockdowns in strawweight history. But Whaley's really, just one thing I want to throw out there that's kind of unrelated. Whaley is very strong mentally. She's, even when she's bleeding like crazy, she is smiling and having fun in there. She just has a good energy about her, and that keeps her calm and collected. But overall, Whaley has the power to knock out Andrade, the toughness to weather Joanna, and the technique to, to arguably beat Joanna. One thing that's hard when looking at her actual stats is 42% of her UFC fight time is in that five-round fight versus Joanna. So it's hard to analyze the stats, um, but she has 100% takedown defense for now, although she's only faced uh, 0.76 takedown attempt per 15 minutes, which I think works out to three takedown attempts attempted on her in her UFC career. She ended up on bottom once, but she wasn't really taken down by it. That was against Tisha Torres. Um, against Joanna, Wei Li had not the best stats as far as defense and accuracy. She had 51% striking defense, really bad, and 40% accuracy, which is about average, but it's not good if you're letting your opponent get in 51% of their shots. And you want to outlanded her by uh, by an average of by 1.15 to 1 strikes per minute ratio. While Rose had 61% defense again in that second fight with Joanna and 35% accuracy. So 10% better defense, 5% worse accuracy. Um, that's really on to Rose. Rose Namajunas is the most technical 
boxer in women's MMA, most technical striker period outside of Valentina, but she's, she is smaller, skinnier, but her, like I said, her power is underrated. She has a slight edge in, in, on the ground game because of her jujitsu, though the power of Whaley means I don't think like Rose will be able to enforce that and get her onto the ground. Um, she, she had a, she has a 22.7% control rate in her UFC career, though a lot of that was early in her career before her striking developed into what it, the amazing, like, I, I could wax poetic about Rose's striking technique all day, and even then I would miss a lot because it's beyond me. It's only something someone like Trevor Whitman can develop and understand. Trevor Whitman, being her coach, is the best thing that could have ever happened to her. He's the greatest striking uh yeah striking mind in mma striking at least um but yeah she she's she has less volume than Lee, but she's more efficient more accurate in general um that left hook super dangerous she could catch Lee a lot as much as Ioana did in, in their second fight, which is why Rose also slowed down in that fight. But her cardio is good. Like, she works with uh, uh, Whitman in general. His team works with Elevation fight team, so they're always working on cardio. One new tool I liked that she added in the last fight was the teeth kick to the belly to keep Andrade at range. That could be very useful in keeping Whaley off her when Whaley tries to make it into a brawl. Um... Yeah, her, just her technique, her ability to stay outside to, and she often leads with her right hand. She, she'll feel out range, faint with her jab, but then start combinations with straight right. You'll often hear Pat Barry or Trevor Whitman in the corner calling out 2-3-2 or 2-3, and that's the combination she likes. Right hand, left hook, right hand, because that left hook is so devastating when it gets around people's guard. Pat Barry, that's um, the former kickboxer and UFC fighter that groomed her as a teenager, right? Yeah, I hate yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, it's so creepy. Keep an eye on that motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, um, yeah, um, so you, just, yeah it, what it other notes do you have on fight. her? Because we it know de- Rose yeah. pretty well. It, yeah, it just depends on where the fight takes place. If Whaley's can use the leg kicks effectively, although Rose Rose's movement in and out, back and forth, helps her avoid the leg kicks for as long as she can continue to do so. You know, especially it's not easy to time that movement in and out. It's not it's not on uh, one rhythm. It, but Rose still will inevitably slow down. It's hard. You can't keep bouncing back and forth on the balls of your feet for a whole fight, whole twenty five minute fight. So can Rose win the early rounds? I don't think Rose can get a knockout. I, I well, I, she can. Anything can happen. But excuse uh, me, jeez. But her best chance is to win rounds one, two, and three, or win, win rounds one and two, and then win one of the later rounds. Um, by yeah, doing what I said, fighting her from the outside, using her amazing technique, using that teep kick, uh, and. 
there there is the opportunity to take Whaley down, but I think Whaley is too strong to let it happen. Her her takedown defense hasn't been tested enough, but from what I've seen, it's very very strong. But we look at the odds. Rose is plus one eighty. Whaley is about minus two ten. It might have moved back since I wrote that down. Yeah, no, no, we're still getting five times minus two twenty five for Whaley plus one eighty five for Rose. Yeah, you you can get, uh, yeah, plus one seventy is a lot of places, but bet online and five dimes plus one eighty five plus one eighty. Um, so yeah, with Rose at plus one eighty five, when I think this fight should be a pick'em, really, is is crazy value. I mean, Rose is super tough. I don't think Whaley's gonna go out there and starch her like people think. I don't think that third round in the Jessica Andrade fight is as big of a detriment to Rose as people think. Like people are, think. Oh, Rose slowed so down so much in that third round. She was getting beat up by Andrade. I mean, she was a little bit bloody. She was wobbled once, but she wasn't knocked down. Like people, I've seen people on Twitter saying she was knocked down. She wasn't knocked down. Andrade hit her with a clean left hook and pushed her down and jumped on top. It was more of a takedown than anything after being stunned. Um, but she clearly won the first two rounds and she's tough enough to weather that storm. Like, like in the fifth round against Joanna, she was beat to shit. They both were. But she dug deep, and without her footwork, she entered into a brawl with Joanna and won to keep her belt. So I think Rose has incredible value as a plus 185 underdog, and I'm going with 1.5 units. Oh, big bet! Just, it, like it, it, it should be a pick. If you look at implied uh, odds and all that shit, it the value is just too wide to ignore. I, I, I flip-flopped a bit if I should just make what I think is is just a value play, 1.5 units, but the risk, uh, the reward outweighs the risk here. Well, uh, I, I think I, I it's like that too you, good to pass up on. I like that you came in with a big two. This is you walking the dog here. You went 1.5 yep. even, not even just a single unit. <laughs> Um, yeah, my last uh, big dog was John McDessie at plus 170. I put a unit on that, cashed that. Uh, I'm, maybe I'm just getting too bold, but I'm going I'm, I'm going with Whaley for a unit. What do you think, Pepper? Ooh. As I understand it, I have 20 units left under my ball sack. All right. What do you got there? As an ambassador, of Rush for a podcast. You might want to save one unit. No, wait, wait. You won't, might want to save one unit because we do a parlay at the end. So, no chance. Okay, <laughs> I'm all or nothing. Okay, there's one thing. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> a, as an ambassador of Rush for a podcast, there's no fucking way I could let this stand without putting all twenty fucking units on Thug Rose. Thug oh, Rose. Thug duh. Rose. Buy everything. Oh, Thug Rose by a million. Oh. Fuck everybody else. Hey, fuck the CCP. A bunch of bullshit ass motherfuckers. They can suck my motherfucking dick. Um, we need to make stuff in America from now on. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Pepper, you're new to this. This is the point in the show where it's called the Don't Be a Pussy Parlay, but you already bet all your units. I'm going to give you an extra two units so you can bet on this. Um, I just want to throw this out for anyone who's listening. This, like, this isn't really – it's more of a segment than an official, like, bet. Like, I, I have Yeah, this is the segment. That's why it's called Don't Be a Pussy. That doesn't make it 
yeah, it doesn't. I, I don't want people to think I'm not being transparent by not tracking these. I, I mean, I will usually put like a five dollar parlay on every play I like on the card, but that's not what this is. No, this this is the point where we just go with our gut. It's not really uh, yeah. the whole point of this podcast is to try and make money betting on UFC. The that's why it's called "Don't Be a Pussy Parlay" because we're just throwing some stuff out there. Yeah, we're we're doing the opposite of our mission statement just for content, right? Or for fun, All right? You know what I mean? Yeah, for, for fun. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, Pepper, our guest host, start us off. What's your what's your parlay? Do you we, have the odds in front of you, actually? Even no, no, I don't care about that. Right, how many fights are we doing? Five, five fights. Five. Okay, so I this is easy. This is very easy for me. Okay, so uh, I'm going to go with Oliveira. I'm going to yep. go with Anthony Smith. Boo. I'm going to go with Chris Weidman. Of course. I just think that Uriah Hall is an absolute fucking bomb. I'm going to go with Shevchenko. That's the easiest one. And then I got to cap it off with Usman. But, but, you, like... but you put... Okay. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> 60 units on Masvidal by KO, but parlay on Usman. <laughs> yeah, you get it. So you, you see... You see I it, that's 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 the difference between uh, betting with my heart and with my brain. Uh, when I, when I go with parlays, I, I try to I try to keep a little bit smarter than uh, my dumb fuck. Listen, I've I've never I, I've only broken even on MMA uh, bets. I've never I've never made any money. I've lost a tremendous amount of money. I've uh, won a couple here and there. So I'm not I'm not a good uh, person to be on this show. Yeah, so just don't listen to Pepper. Just he's only here because he's more entertaining than us. True. <laughs> All right, soft. All right, uh, I'm gonna take uh, Usman, Shevchenko, Crute, uh, Batgirl, and uh, let me see who will be my. Let me see. Who's my last one? There's a couple I feel all right about. I'll take Oliveira. I mean, Oliveira okay. is the the lockest lock of all locks. If his cardio isn't shit, it is. I mean, no, it is. Randy Brown. Randy Brown is a confirmed bum. Yeah, what the I, I mean, are we talking about? Randy Brown is the guy who beat. What's his name? Uh, yeah, he beat a couple of people. Yeah, we we went through twelve minutes of the pepper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Ra- Randy Brown has beat some fucking nobodies. He's he's he, he fucking sucks. He's also lost against some nobodies. All right, so I'm coming Absolute in problem. here with Zhurong, uh, um, Danabat Grill. Brendan Allen, Jimmy Crude, and Rose Namajunas. Oh, For that's my a, don't be a pussy parlay. Yeah, that's a sweet parlay because you're picking the big, you know, some underdog action. Yep. yep. Well, we did with yep, Oliveira yep. too, but yeah, that's that's a yeah. All right. Okay. 
<laughs> this was a big card. Val had a lot of notes, and it, there was a lot of stuff to talk about. Even though we, uh, there was several fights that we were just like nothing to see here. We don't know enough about to yeah, I mean, to bet on. But the fun part about this card is, is now we'll have tape on a lot of these new fighters that are just coming in, so we'll know next yeah. time. And it's, it's, it, it, I'm interested to see how the Chinese Performance Institute is developing but, these kids. Like, Zhu Rong is one I've heard things about. Haven't seen him, just heard great things about him. So, yeah, he's one I'm going to be definitely looking out for in but, that 155 prelim. Uncle Pepper. Uncle Pepper, <laughs> we, we'd love to have you back again because you add some color to the show, even though. Uh, well, Val and I will keep doing what we're doing is we're trying to um say bets that'll make money, but you add a little breakup. You're like the you're like the prank calls on a morning show. I love it. Um Yeah, man, I will I would love to come back, back anytime. Four and oh. When I'm four and oh <laughs> after this party, I would love to come back and just throw it in your dumb fuck faces. <laughs> we'll have to figure something out because uh <clears throat> we need we um, need to record on Wednesdays. We can probably modify it some, but you record your show on Wednesdays as well, so we'll have to figure it out. And why don't you give a shout-out to your show, tell everyone where they can find Pepper. Yeah, everybody go check out. Uh, don't check out anything else. Only check out uh, YouTube.com slash Rush Podcast and look up a song called Beautiful Animal. It's a song that I wrote about having sex. Actually, it's a song about... I wrote about not having sex with horses. Not having sex with horses. Well, everyone can support tonight. that. Yes. So <laughs> okay. If, if you enjoy not having sex with horses, check out my song, Beautiful Animal, on the Rushmore Podcast YouTube channel. And everybody, go get your pair of Lyle Corp gloves. They are the best special right, no mechanic <laughs> cool tool company on we'll the cut goddamn that out. planet. <laughs> All right, um, I, I should have done this earlier, but I, I need to like list my my bets here at the end just to summarize. Oh yeah, put um, them in, Val. So I'll, Rose, I'll, I'll Rose push them up. at plus Rose Namunis at plus one eighty five for one and a half units. Um, Usman in round four for point one unit, and Usman in round five for point one unit. That's at shoot. What were the odds on that? I think sixteen uh, plus sixteen hundred and plus two thousand. Yeah. Plus sixteen hundred yeah. and plus two thousand for those respectively. Um, to Jimmy Crute at minus one eighty five for one unit. Um, Alex Oliveira at plus one thirty four for half a unit, and Brendan Allen at minus one forty five, one point four five units to win one unit. Oh, and and, and Dana Batgrill minus one eighty, one unit. Yeah, I feel good about Bot Grill. All, right. All right. Well, we'll see what happens on Saturday, and we'll be back next week. Yep. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the Significant Strike podcast. Um, we will come up with some outro music before our next episode. We'll end this more professionally, but for now, it's just a goodbye, and let's see how we do. Make some money. Make that money.